Kadavar, that's called Ashrenu. Yehuda Green before that, Rip Shlomo's Kiddush off of the Nishma CD. You heard Yosef Chaim with Shema Koleinu, words we say this time of year. Well, we say it all year round, but you know what I mean. Me'ein Alam Haba, Yosef Wartelski, Aish with Mimkomcha, Shloimi Dax and Company with David Melech Yisrael, Shalshelis had Muggin Avos, you heard Shalom Aleichem, that, uh, those selections came from the Raza the Shabbos uh, collection and Regesh and Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday morning on this September the 11th of 2015, 14 years later. 14 years later. Unbelievable. 14 years ago, the attack on the United States. 14 years ago, thousands of people dead. 14 years ago, a day that changed the world and certainly changed this country. 27th day in the month of Elul, the year 5775, but not for long. Soon the brand new year of 5776 as of Sunday night. 
It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim <clears throat> with candle lighting time at 6.52 on this Erev Shabbos, 6.52. Things getting earlier, for those of you who are used to a, a later candle lighting at a consistent time over the summer months, beware. 6.52 is your candle lighting time for today. For us, it's Erev Rosh Hashanah. Erev Rosh Hashanah, of course, is Sunday. Matas will be on with JM Sunday between 7 and 9. But this is my final opportunity on the radio to wish everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet new year as we get into the brand new year this coming Sunday night. Rabbi Yudin has a uh, lengthy presentation because of the uh, upcoming holiday. We'll get to that about 8.15 this morning. And, of course, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's going to join us coming up at about 7.40 this morning for the final weekly update of 5775. And there's a lot of news this week, that's for sure. We'll speak about all of it coming up here at JM in the AM. 69 degrees outside, mostly sunny today with a high of 84. Clear tonight, 68 the low, and thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon for Shabbos with a high of 80 degrees. Right now we're at 69 degrees here in Jersey City at JM in the AM. Yerushalayim is still uh, enjoying some great weather, Baruch Hashem. The center of our world has 100 degrees today on a very hot Friday, Erev Shabbos. Five minutes before 7 o'clock, we'll do our news from Israel coming up. And again, Malcolm Holmline, 740 as we go through the news of this uh, of this week and really of the last couple of weeks. There's so much to discuss. We'll do all of that coming up if you keep it right here at JM in the AM.
Friday morning, it's brand new from the collection by uh, Chaim Shlomo Mize, CD entitled Baskol here at JMDM. Friday morning on the Zerub Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim. Candle lighting at 6.52 on the Zerub Shabbos. Rosh Hashanah Sunday night, wishing everybody a happy, healthy, sweet new year. 14 years ago today on September the 11th, 2001. A day that would uh, live as a 9-11 for 14 years after that, and I'm sure for a long, long time after today, it'll uh, be known as a 9-11. And um, we get to discuss the news of the day with Malcolm Honline that's coming up. It's amazing how much has changed in the last 14 years and how much has stayed the same in the last 14 years, and we'll discuss all of that coming up here at JMN about 7.40 this morning. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Golly, it's all in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. As we said, Malcolm Holmline will join us. And of course, Rabbi Yudin at about 8.15, 8.20 this morning with a presentation that'll include everything regarding uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is Monday and Tuesday. We have a short week next week. We'll be back here on the air Wednesday morning. Matas will do JM Sunday on our stream at jmnam.org and the NSN app on Sunday between 7 and 9. We'll be back here Wednesday for a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday short week at JM and the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM and the AM. ולהיטה על השעה שתיים, כאן אביה מלכה עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ירי לעבר בית ספר בנצרת, שני מאבטחים נפצעו בינוני. כתבתנו אורנית פורן. שני המאבטחים שעמדו בשער בית הספר אורט בשכונה המזרחית נורו מרכב חולף שנמלט מהמקום. פרמדיקים של מד"א פינו את המאבטחים לבית החולים האיטלקי בנצרת במצב בינוני, כשהם סובלים מפצעי ירי בגפיים. כוחות גדולים של משטרה סורקים את האזור, נסיבות האירוע אינן ברורות. חשד לרצח בפתח תקווה. גבר התקשר למשטרה והודיע שהרג את אשתו. כוחות המשטרה שהגיעו לזירה מצאו את האישה שותתת דם לאחר שנדקרה בסכין ועצרו את בעלה. 
הנה מפקד תחנת פתח תקווה במשטרה, סגן ניצב טל פקרביץ'. בסביבות השעה עשר לערך התקשר גבר ליומן התחנה ומסר שפגע באשתו. ניידות התחנה שהגיעו לכתובת שהגבר מסר מצאו את האישה ללא אורח חיים. בני הזוג בסביבות גיל השלושים. בני הזוג אינם מוכרים לתחנה מאירועים קודמים. לבני הזוג ילד פעוט שככל הנראה נכח בזירה בעת הרצח. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת שהוא עבר לטיפול רשויות הרווחה. נמשכת המתקפה על מינויו של תת-אלוף במילואים גל הירש למפכ"ל המשטרה. המפכ"לים לשעבר שלמה אהרונישקי ואסף חפץ תוקפים בחריפות את התנהלות השר לביטחון הפנים גלעד ארדן ומכנים אותה חובבנית. כתבתנו יערה שפירא שמעה אותם במפגש המועדון הכלכלי-מסחרי בראשון לציון. דימוי לא בונים על ידי גימיקים, על ידי עבודה נכונה ועצם זה שתביא מישהו מהצבא, תת-אלוף כזה או אחר, לא ישנה את העניין הזה בתיאור זה. מי שאמור להחליט לא מבין עדיין ולא יודע מה זה משטרה באופן אמיתי. משטרה זה גוף רציני מדי בשביל לנהל אותו בצורה חובבנית. רוסיה הודיעה שתמשיך לחמש את משטר אסד בסוריה. כתבתנו עופרי אשל. שר החוץ של רוסיה, סרגי לברוב, כינס מסיבת עיתונאים ובה הצהיר רוסיה מחמשת את צבא אסד כבר זמן רב, והיא תמשיך בכך בהתאם לחוק הבינלאומי. לברוב הוסיף, היות שארצות הברית תוקפת יעדים של דאעש בסוריה, הפנטגון ומשרד הביטחון הרוסי צריכים לתאם את פעולותיהם, על מנת למנוע תקריות לא מכוונות, כהגדרתו. התחזית האובך התפזר במהלך סוף השבוע, היום ומחר צפויה ירידה בטמפרטורות, אכן יישארו גבוהות מהרגיל לעונה. ולסיום, הזמרת טיילור סוויפט עקפה את קים קרדשיאן והפכה לבעלת חשבון האינסטגרם האהוד בעולם. כתבנו איתמר קציר. 45 מיליון ו-900 אלף עוקבים זיכו את הזמרת זוכת הגרמי בתואר נוסף, האדם עם הכי הרבה עוקבים ברשת החברתית אינסטגרם. בכך לקחה סוויפט את הכתר מקים קרדשיאן, שמפגרת אחריה בכ-200 מעט אחרי שתיהן נמצאת ביונסה, בעוד שלמנהיג העולם החופשי ברק אובמה יש רק ארבעה מיליון עוקבים. אלה החדשות שעורך יותם ברגר, בצוות רינת גיימן ורן לויה. Sadeh Khon Yamu Sadeh Khon 
Now you know why the CD is called Miad Nigalim. Uh, Shabbatot is the name of that selection here at JM in the AM. Before that, Alicia Friedman from what they uh, uh, called when they released it uh, a while back, the Waterbury Yeshiva CD with Hayom from the uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur Liturgy. Actually, Rosh Hashanah more accurately, I believe. Shlomo Kalbach and Shmak from his Slichos experience. Lots of Slichos between now and Sunday, and then, of course... Uh, we pick up Slichas again on Wednesday, Tzom Gedalia. Hamol, done by Shimon Kramer, words from the High Holiday Liturgy. Friday morning, it's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim, candlelighting at 6.52, 14 years ago today, September the 11th, uh, a day that changed this country. We thought in many ways would change the world, and in some ways it did, and in some ways it did not. Erev Rosh Hashanah is Sunday. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday. In fact, Matis has announced... That this Sunday between 7 and 9, in addition to it being an Arab Rosh Hashanah program and the final JM show of the year 5775, he is going to be welcoming a, a special guest to the program this coming Sunday. Um, Matis on Sunday speaks to Rabbi Alchanan Shaf. Rabbi Shaf is author of the book, Lord Get Me High, Making the Most of the High Holiday Season. The book focuses on the themes of Ludovid, Psalm number 27. It's a great pre-Rosh Hashanah discussion that will kick off the brand new JM Sunday season this coming Sunday at um, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time on the stream at jmandam.org and on the NSN app. So make sure you are tuned in, listening in for all of that right here uh, at uh, jmandam and jmandam.org. We're back on Wednesday after the two-day hiatus for Rosh Hashanah, hoping everybody has a wonderful Yontif ahead. And wishing everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet 5776. Tough Let me get this right. Tough Shin Ayin Vav, right? I believe so. 5776. And I will speak to you during the brand new year on some Gedalia, the fast of Gedalia, this coming Wednesday morning. 68 degrees, mostly sunny, a high temperature of 84. Again, a reminder, candlelighting is 652, a bit earlier than we're used to, 652. So keep that in mind as we get closer and closer to Shabbos. 6.52 candlelighting time on this era of Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline joining us. Uh, he's about 15 minutes away as we uh, explore the final weekly update of 5775. It's all coming up right here at JM in the AM.
nicht weit zu gehen. Amazing selection by Kent Yitzchak Mayer Helfgott, Shofar Shalmashiach. Perfect time for our final Shofar blowing for the month of Elul here at JM in the AM.
with a version of Unisana Tokov which you'll find on his Live in Israel CD here at JM in the AM. Yaakov Shweki before that with Kamu. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parshas needs seven final weekly update of 5775 just a minute away. Malcolm Honline standing by. We'll get to him in a second. want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Wish them a happy, healthy, 
and sweet New Year's. They continue to enthusiastically recommend our live stream to their readers. And I want to thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com. I mentioned over the last few weeks how they've expanded from not just reporting on the incredible Simcha news that, thank God, we have in our community. Not always, but thank God there's plenty of Simcha, thank God, and it should continue in the new year. Uh, but they've expanded to include an amazing news feed of great Jewish stories from around the world, and they utilize a lot of the material that happens here every single morning. We thank them for that. Check out OnlySimchas.com and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us after the hiatus last week for his travel schedule. Uh, our final weekly update of 5775. Malcolm, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you. How did it go last week? Can you tell us anything about the trip? Uh, well, let's just say I was in an Arab country, and I was. it went very well. Um, the, the concern that we all feel in in uh, regard to the Iran deal, I can tell you, is echoed, and if not even uh, amplified, in uh, in other parts of the world, and other, and especially in the countries in the Middle East and uh, beyond. Right. It's, it's interesting and it's funny. In other words, you're meeting people in the Arab world, let's say, who are against the deal and fearful of it, yet they really cannot express this publicly, right? Well, some of them do in in modified ways. Some even come out and and are interpreted as being supportive. When in fact, uh, they're just saying, you know, this is a reality we're living with. But in in uh, in, in the real world, they are very upset about it, and they they are concerned because of the ramifications. Uh, which I, I tell people all the time: the, the votes that have taken place is not. Uh, the end of this deal, and and people shouldn't be depressed about the, the outcome. Obviously, we're unhappy with uh, with what has happened, but far more than that, the, the, we need the energy now to make sure that Iran will not be allowed to, to to violate the deal. That we will hold everybody to account. That the that new restrictions are being uh, new sanctions, other things are being uh, contemplated, and could. Uh, could come into to effect, and, and I think you will see that as Iran makes clear its positions, the statements yesterday, uh, that the um, Ayatollah said we will not change in any way our attitude towards the United States, we will not negotiate anything else, and in fact turned down the notion uh, this past week of an embassy, which means that somebody must have approached him, because otherwise why would they deny it mm-hmm. uh, their statements about the, the dealing with arrogance which is the pseudonym for the, for the US and of course the destruction of Israel uh, remains unchanged so here we have empowered them and in all likelihood providing them with tens of billions if not hundreds of billions of dollars over the next years and the, the real challenge will now come obviously have we been able to to stop this, to to see changes made, to rewrite the laws, to get real access to the secret agreements, to other things. Uh, it would have been better. We would have a, a, a clearer picture. But we know the reality of what we're confronting and the expansive goals beyond just a nuclear program. All right, understood. And we have a lot to talk about in that regard in terms of the future of sanctions and the future of each part of this deal, if any of them 
could possibly be eliminated down the road. Um, uh, but, but first, in terms of this whole procedure, so now we know that in Washington, basically it's over, and uh, this deal is going to go through, and I'm sure the White House is very happy. Uh, but there are some people who really took a stand over the last few weeks. I mean, you have not been... Uh, um, uh, short on praise for any of them. I mean, some of the public officials in this country, including from our area, including Senator Menendez, Senator Schumer, and others have been incredible. I, I think, I don't think we've had a chance, because we haven't spoken in two weeks, I don't think we've had a chance to speak about Senator Booker. I characterized his decision as disappointing because of his very close relationship with the pro-Israel community. And sometimes when you know or have a strong feeling that someone really gets it, and yet it seems they voted the other way. That could be disturbing. Did you have the same type of reaction to Booker's decision? Well, I think that it, it's uh, a disappointment, I think, is the right word. And the um, the fact that they waited so long that he said he spoke to thousands of people, consulted with thousands of experts, et cetera, which I think has got to be a bit of an exaggeration. Um, and and the, the, uh, the nature of the statement that he issued which was more critical of the deal than those who have come out against the deal. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that characterizes many of those who have, have supported the, the, the uh, deal and voted with the, the administration on it. Many of their statements point up the flaws, the, their, their reasons for um, uh, the reasons for, for which they should, in fact, be opposing it. And his statement went very far in that direction. And I think the, the, the mistake is this is not because of his ties to the pro-Israel community. This is not about Israel. This is about the United States. This is about our security, the security of our children and our grandchildren. They don't need ballistic missiles to attack Israel. Why are they building them? They're building them to hit the United States, hit Europe. And today they already have the capacity of much of Europe. So we have to, and, and we have tried all along and worked assiduously to get the focus off of Israel and off of this as a Jewish issue, because it is not. It is an American issue, and the fact is that the American people brilliantly uh, see this, and despite all of the heavy investment to support this bill and the investment against it, obviously, only 21% of the American people support this bill in the, in the Pew poll last, this past week. And the, the polling has remained, uh, the, the pattern of diminishing support it has been pretty consistent, and pretty widespread in, in polls. So the American people get it. They don't trust Iran. They don't trust this deal. They recognize the loopholes, and I'm afraid that we will find out more and more. And uh, this the is... argument they, they presented is that they had no alternative and that uh, if you back off uh, of this, you leave a vacuum and chaos, etc., and that the Europeans would not go back to the table, etc. But the fact is that if the United States holds to it. It is, was the sanctions that Congress, not the administration, Congress put forward and that the administration supported and the administration sanctioned some Hamas people just yesterday. It is the American sanctions that brought everybody to the table, mostly the Iranians. Yeah. On the point of the 21%, by the way, and, that, and that's while at the same time the entire summer, it seems, and again, we could argue this, it seems that the mainstream media in the United States was pushing for the deal, or at least, you know, touting it, the, the greatness of it, and still only 21%, as you said, came through 
um, with support of it here in the United States. Uh, by the way, Hillary, very similar to what, well, I shouldn't say very similar, in the same vein, uh, the way she approached it this week, very strong, you know, came out for the deal, but again, very strong language against Iran. So it's like, you know, you'd think that there'd be unwavering support from someone like her for the deal, but even she had language that was you know, very critical of Iran. She did, and she, uh, I think, was somewhat uh, uh, disassociating themselves, uh, herself, uh, from the absolute position of the administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the the fact is that she she supported, which nobody was surprised at, and the revelations this week that, in fact, was under her leadership of the State Department when some of the negotiations began. I don't know that, that it would have led uh, to the conclusion that they reached because she has always been tougher on the Iran issue. And we should note that today, of course, is 14 years to the day on the secular calendar of 9-11. And uh, ironically, all this happens this week. And we wonder if the world has really changed and what direction we're going in. And has anybody learned a lesson? And all of that, of course, hangs over this uh, 14th anniversary. So well, I think that it's, it is a important reminder today because we know that Iran is the major state sponsor of terrorism. There's nothing in this bill that addresses the terrorism. And the idea that you can separate, that you can deal in some uh, isolated way with the nuclear program and not look at the linkage, because the release of funds, even if a small percentage of it, let's say it is $52 billion this year as the administration or and some officials have said, others say, you know, it's up to $150 billion, it'll be hundreds of billions, perhaps, over the next years. A small percentage, a billion dollars, two billion dollars, three billion dollars, changes the terrorism situation, because terrorist organizations don't need vast amounts of money. Uh, Hamas gets some money from, uh, uh, especially the Al-Quds military uh, guys, um, terrorists, the uh, Hamas, Hezbollah gets a lot of money, the Houthis, the others, their support for, for Assad's troops, etc. So a billion dollars, a couple billion dollars can make a huge difference. And we know that they have tried to, to, to get more and more sophisticated equipment to Hezbollah. And uh, there have been all sorts of flirtations again with Hamas, with, with, whom, with whom they've been estranged over the Syrian war. So the consequences for global terrorism could be very severe, and it's not just in the Middle East. Iran's involvement in Africa and South America, uh, we've discussed it, and we get more and more evidence all the time of their expanding efforts, activities, and these 30 or 40,000 agents that they have there are not there, you know, to give uh, medical advice. And the, the, um, uh, the true ramifications of the bill and the fact that Iran... It does not dismantle anything that Iran can can boast of. It's humiliating the um, its interlocutors, the West, the great powers, which is what they're saying. This is exactly what Khamenei, what the Rouhani wrote after his negotiations with Europeans. He mocked them, and you will see more and more of these kind of statements saying and and a message that they that they want that they were able to. To stand up to the West to and emerge, uh, stand up, but put it, be putting it mildly, manipulate the West, confront the West, and 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 manipulate them. And that, and if you remember when I got into trouble for calling them bazaaris, right. no Iranian ever had a problem with. But 
that uh, and and what I meant is these people have been uh, uh, skilled at negotiations for two thousand years. They they've called themselves bizarre. They have stood up to it uh, to now to the West and and out negotiated them at the very least uh, by the evaluation of many. Look, it's not that there's nothing good here, but there's uh, certainly. Um, I think, a general consensus that we could have gotten a better deal. Yeah, and, and just a, a point about the first thing you said in that in, in that answer is that um, just reminding everybody, as you've told us many times, in terms of the cash, in terms of the money, sometimes we don't realize how inexpensive it is to carry out terrorist attacks. You know, many of us think it's always these sophisticated operations to the point that it costs millions of dollars. And as you've pointed out, you have millions of dollars, you're going to be able to do a lot of damage down the road. And, and, and billions. Right. And then, and the... the um, you know the ability to get more equipment to get to, to do dig tunnels to expand, and we know that Iran is expanding its presence in the Golan in in uh, Syria, um, and the you know they keep Hezbollah there. They want it intact as a as a deterrent for Israel to considering any kind of an action. Uh, the the hundred thousand missiles that Hezbollah has are all uh, traced to to Iran, let alone the destabilizing efforts across the region. And around the world. Right. Yeah, my point was that if you think you need a million dollars to carry out an attack, you need, you know, much, right. much, much, much less than that. By the way, and I know, I, 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 I'm sure it makes you uncomfortable when I bring it up, but maybe this will be the last time because, you know, obviously this battle for now is over, but certain Jewish leaders, when they get into the newspapers and offer their opinion, and it's on this side of the issue or, or the other side, whatever you want to call it, you know, former members of the, you know, former chairs of the Conference of Presidents, former directors of APAC, and you know what kind of battle APAC, whether we want to acknowledge it publicly or not, you know what kind of money they put in, what kind of battle they fought over the last few weeks. It's it just, again, maybe the word is disappointing, but you'd think that somebody who who, who built his, his Jewish life on, you know, being the leader of APAC would think twice before, you know, publicly being part of an ad that comes out pro the deal. But whatever. I don't know if you want to respond to that. But well, I think look the, the polls, and there's one that will come out today shows that the Jewish community essentially is split. Uh, we often find that the Jewish community, the, the general populace, is more against the deal than the Jewish community. And people are entitled to whatever view they want if they have studied it, if they understand the consequences, if they realize. What will happen from this? And, and they're entitled to be everywhere along the spectrum, and we shouldn't denigrate people if they come out with legitimate positions. Right. Uh, but I think you're right. People have to think, what are the consequences of their actions, of their words? Words count. We, we, we learned that in all of these parishes, what difference words can make, even one word can make. And to the pressure that has been brought to bear in this case is unprecedented. Uh, administration that is engaged in this, and you have to say that they successfully um, engaged Congress, a Congress with whom they've had very little. Most of the senators, congressmen, said this was the first time they heard, but they heard often the president's frequent briefings to Jewish organizations, Jewish leaders, rabbis yesterday again, and in which he talked about uh, looking forward to a meeting with Bibi, Kerry, Secretary Kerry, um, uh, spoke to, to Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday. They talked about the need to push back on the destabilizing Iranian influence in the region. Uh, the president uh, spoke about the, the commitments, etc. 
One of the important things is that we get the U.S.-Israel relationship back on track, meaning that the perception of the relationship, especially in the region, has to be that the U.S. and Israel, despite having had these differences, are uh, that the special relationship emerges out of this, that we see them working together, that Israel's new security needs are, in fact, addressed, not by some of the old uh, commitments, but new commitments, and especially in negotiating the 10-year um, MOU, Memo, Memo of Understanding, but Israel's uh, securing the up till now three billion plus a year that Israel will need more when they will need uh, more advanced equipment to deal with uh, an empowered Iran or an Iran that is empowering terrorist groups uh, in, in the region. So the we have to parse out each of these things and think about now the longer term, and that's why you don't sever ties. Why you don't sometimes I know people be frustrated. Uh, whether people say exactly what they think, but you have to consider not just the moment, but you have to think about this in the long term. And we are going to face many serious challenges. We, we see it already at the U.N. yesterday, the decision to fly the Palestinian flag. So many things that are little but are telling us. Yeah. Uh, these are warnings about what's lying across the horizon. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmdm.org. Our final weekly update of 5775. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Talk more about that in a moment in terms of... Uh, repairing some of these relationships and the perception of the Israeli American-Israeli relationship. But uh, we have to acknowledge, and you alluded to it earlier in this conversation, we, we have to acknowledge, and again, I'm sure someone in your position says there is so much more that can be done, but nonetheless, there are so many rabbinic leaders and so many community leaders and so many lay people out there across the country who did spend a lot of time this summer rallying, gathering, communicating with their public officials, and actually meeting face-to-face in groups with public officials, members of the United States House of Representatives and the uh, United States Senators. And we've got to acknowledge that, and we've got to take this on to the next battle, on to the next uh, uh, scenario, when, again, this type of mobilization might be necessary. And people should not feel that those efforts were wasted. They were not. You did the right things. You, you, this is what American democracy demands of us, that is to be involved, that you helped educate the American people clearly reflected in these results that you educated members of Congress and that by uh, establishing a relationship, a credible relationship, which is also why we don't want to see extreme language used, but, but to, to express criticism in, in the proper way, to express support in a proper way. Remember to thank people who do the right thing. But the, the process has been very important, and people should not now drop the ball, but should sustain it and make sure that we now press for some of the legislative initiatives that will come up for some of the other efforts. I think those who, who criticize um, organizations that really went out far out on the limb, you know, many, many millions of dollars were spent. They were not wasted. Those ads will retain, will be remain with people. And when we see Iranian violations, I think that members of Congress who voted for this will be under greater pressure. And as so many said, you know, you, you voted for it, you bought it. Well, I don't know if you buy every piece of legislation you vote for, but you, there is a responsibility that I think they will feel. And we have to continue to educate them, hold them to account, uh, explain what, what all of these things mean. There are 
I can't even talk about the whole array of issues today because we won't have enough time. I'll take us well past Jim Kimper. <laughs> but the, but the, the fact is that we are only in phase one of this. This is a long-term engagement, and people should not feel in any way dis, um, dissuaded from the efficacy of their engagement. The opposite it should encourage them to sustain the relationships, continue to, to educate, continue to build on it. And um, I, I wonder if you're even going to react to this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> and for those who feel that we must unseat and defeat every member of the United States government that voted for the deal, we only have to unseat and defeat one to get the message across. So everybody keep that in mind. Only one has to be defeated of the high-profile members of the United States Congress in order to make the point. And Malcolm, I would assume you're not going to comment on that. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> I figured as much. Prime Minister Netanyahu, what's his attitude? You've you've spoken to him many times in the last few weeks, and it's obvious now that he knew for the last few weeks that there was no way in the world this deal wasn't going through. Uh, what is his attitude? How will he proceed in order to repair this public perception of the Israeli-U.S. relationship? Well, he'll be coming here for the United Nations General Assembly during Kolomoed, and uh, as we heard yesterday, uh, the president was indicating that he would invite him to White House, I guess, because he won't be in New York anymore when the, the Prime Minister gets here. Uh, I think that there will be a concerted effort to, to try and dampen down uh, uh, some of the tensions that, that have arisen. It's very important for the interests of both countries. It's very important that the countries in the region see it. It's not just the what the, the, the tenor is between the two of them, it's how it is perceived by Iran, by others, by Hezbollah, by Hamas, by all those. And we have escalating situations on a lot of the borders uh, of Israel. Um, the, the, um, uh, so the, the two have to uh, look now to the future to see what Israel will get, how do they work together to assure full Iranian compliance, and what price will Iran pay if they violate it? What, who, who will be on the front line? There are not going to be many parties there. And as the New York Times insists, is it deliberate on Bibi's part that he is avoiding certain words and terms and rhetoric now because he does want to do his part in terms of calming things down? Because, you know, at some point you, you know the reality. We know what the outcome of this will be. And, and again, the fight will continue until the last minute. So his but, U.N. speech will not nearly be as strong against Iran as it's been the last couple of years. I think it'll be stronger. You do think so? Oh, absolutely. So he'll use well, that forum now, to do that. As he perceives it is greater that Iran right. now will feel it has a license, and he's going to tell them neither do you have a license, but that the international community by uh, and the P five plus one in particular, and the UN Security Council, which voted to the resolution, now bears a responsibility, a additional responsibility, not only a moral one but mm -hmm. a practical one. And that would mean then he'll he'll no doubt spend a lot of time or a good amount of time, I would assume, on sanctions and other things that can be done on that. And I think on after the vote yesterday, you know, it's overwhelming vote to allow them to raise the flag, though they don't have a state, and right. um, you know, it's just one of that series of erosionary uh, uh, events that that. Uh, uh, diminishes the the prospect of any kind of negotiations because they're gaining what they want without it. Abbas now threatening to resign, to to leave. There's no successor. There's no succession. I don't think he's going to leave so quickly. He's playing the game with Tehran, but Tehran doesn't want to see him. Uh, the the, um, uh, the the Hamas is becoming more assertive 
and we'll try to put on a, a stronger show and threat of Iran to arm people in the West Bank to create a third front for Israel with from Lebanon, Hezbollah, Hamas, and Gaza, then in the, in the West Bank, the Israel has been uh, very careful to monitor all that and watch for any signs of it. But, you know, we will see more aggressive actions on, on the part of Iran, which makes no effort to cloak their true aspirations and designs and talks about still death to America and death to Israel and annihilation of Israel 25 years, the Lino Israel, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. After some European leaders said, oh, they'll moderate their tone, and in the, within a second they, they already uh, had not. Interesting that BB utilized yesterday to declare how he's ready to head right back to the negotiating table with, at any preconditions at this point. Well, he's been saying it all along, and there have been efforts, there have been uh, some outreach, but the Palestinians have no interest in negotiating, and I think that that's why you see some of the Europeans have backed off of it. Uh, it is re- extremely regrettable that they're still talking about labeling West Bank products, so- so-called settlement products, etc., with special labels, special things. This is a precursor to boycotts. This is a, a very dangerous move, inappropriate. They didn't don't do it in any other area, disputed area in the world. Uh, but the Europeans themselves, who had talked so much, and there were going to be efforts now to try and convene, and they will convene uh, the quartet plus the Arab states. Israel was not mentioned as being included in that invitation uh, to talk about the Middle East, but I guess the broader Middle East. There, there's nobody who sees right now uh, the immediate prospect of Palestinian negotiations. They are in disarray. The internal disputes uh, within the PLO, within the uh, the PA, are are worse than ever, and between them and Hamas. So you, the effort and the the um, success in getting the symbolic victories, like the Palestinian flag, or the statements, the recognition, uh, the marking of of products. These are all counterproductive from the agenda that the very sponsors set of wanting to see a negotiated settlement. Right. Malcolm, this refugee issue, who is more sensitive to the issue of refugees and the Jewish people and the people of Israel? Uh, it is. Um, it, it must be driving people like the Prime Minister um, you know, a, a little crazy, not knowing exactly how Israel should respond to this and knowing that when it comes to situations like this, with desperate people in the world, Israel usually does respond in a very, very positive and active way. Um, and, and of course, other countries are uh, are making arrangements for a certain number of refugees. Uh, how how is Israel going to deal with this, especially if the public perception continues that they are not ready to step up and take in additional refugees? So the, we again see the double, triple standard applied. Which was the first country to render assistance? to Syrian refugees. You know that Israel treated 1,700 Syrians, including soldiers, who have been wounded or hurt during during this conflict, in Israeli hospitals, paying for it all. None of these people are coming with insurance cards to pay for it. The, the, the hospital they set up along the border. In addition, you have things, organizations like Israel Aid and others who have been providing uh, assistance from Israel going into the refugee camps providing them with aid, which doesn't carry an Israeli flag, but, but comes from Israel, uh, since the very beginning of it. And I have seen it personally. I've seen what, they, what they're doing. They go along the Turkish-Syrian border at great risk that if they were captured, you know what their fate would be. So Israel has been doing its part. The idea that Israel 
Russia taking people? I haven't heard anybody say, why has Russia taken no one when they're mm. in large part responsible for the war? How come right. Iran isn't being demanded to take in people, let alone the Gulf states, which have vast areas unused? They have a housing stock. They have ability to absorb people, certainly no financial uh, risk. I mean, the answer I saw from one was, one official was, we're too expensive here. It's too expensive to live here. What do you mean it's too expensive? That's the point. You take in refugees and you, you subsidize, you help them. And I think that the real answer here lies in resolving the situation in Syria so you don't have this immense outflow because it's an endless supply. They're not just coming from Syria. They're coming from Iraq. They're coming from Afghanistan. You can have five million people, then you could have a much larger numbers coming. The 800,000 people coming into Germany will have a profound impact. Certainly we're sympathetic, and we understand what it means to be homeless. We, we want to see people help. But we have to think also the long-term implications of this. So I think that the answer lies in, in resettling them in the region within countries that can accept. Israel, one has to remember, constantly is taking in people who are Jews who are, who are being chased, whether... France, which is not a refugee population, right. but Ethiopians were, and and uh, Iraqi Jews, Iranian Jews, others oh. were. Yeah, don't have to convince me. I just wonder if as this escalates and Israel's position becomes more well-known, if it'll be a PR problem or not. You know, and I, I don't know why they have to answer it all the time. I don't know why they just can't shut up and, and you know, nobody else is asking. They're not asking, you know, many other countries, where, where are you on this issue? Yeah, that's true. Maybe it is better to be silent on this. In terms of the battle in Washington, and you've told us that the day after, of course, there will be battles in Washington. So sanctions we discussed, and obviously there's a role that the United Nations and the United States government plays. Is there any other area of this whole Iran-U.S. relationship where you think there can be progress in some area over the next few months in Washington to either derail or adjust parts of this deal that people like yourself feel are a bad deal? Absolutely. I think there are many uh, options that are being discussed, including uh, building on the sanctions that are not taken off, those sanctions for terrorism, for, for uh, uh, the, uh, the, um, the other violations that they're engaged in, that we can look for new areas, maybe even state legislation um, uh, continuing to hold them to account for terrorist attacks and uh, this lawsuits, which I think uh, will end up again being a big issue because I think the deal... Uh, sort of commits the administration not to allow these these uh, lawsuits, which I think is a violation, but uh, we'll have to see. Uh, there will be many ways and many areas in which we can try to to introduce new efforts there. Uh, Ed Royce, the chairman of the House Foreign Relations Committee, Corker, many others, Senator Corker, many others have already been preparing uh, legislative initiatives um, and, to the, and ones that would uh, raise the stake. Uh, on all this. For By the, the way, I just wanted to say something which I think I found amazing in a report that came out the day before yesterday uh, talking about Russia not taking anybody. Right. Russia today has a static population of 144 million. The, the, the birth rate has gone down. They're not replacing. It's a much older population. They have 21 million Muslims. The majority of the conscripts in their military in the coming years will be the majority will be Muslims. And remember, many come from these outlying regions that are uh, prone to, to, to radicalization. It's an it's a issue Putin raised with me already, we discussed in 1998, but the, the, you know, we're looking at the demographic issues is really vital. 
and the longer-term implications, not just today, tomorrow, next week, but next year, the year after, five years from now, these are, 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 can change radically the situations in, in Europe and elsewhere. That's why we're reading articles about the, the questions that Putin has about the future of Russia, frankly. The future of Russia and its economy is weak, and et cetera, but they have vast areas that are not uh, settled and could take in people. But he's looking at, at this uh, situation and sees that his officer corps will be 40% um, Muslims, which is not in of itself bad, but it depends if, if they're radical. Do, how, do they, how does that affect their foreign policy? How does it affect their military policy, the engagement against, uh, let's say, radical is- Islamists in Chechnya and elsewhere? And all the while, Iran knows that Russian influence, and as you just said, the uh, you know their 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 future with their future somewhat in doubt, their influence is going to start waning, and they can become the power in that region that they've always dreamt of. And they are working together more and more closely. And uh, again, there's been stuff written and, and reports about the uh, uh, cooperation between them. Uh, one shouldn't d- dismiss it that although that they they are enemies on a lot of fronts. And, uh, you know, that it, Putin has no tolerance for the kind of Islam that, uh, that uh, Ayatollah Khomeini propounds and, and uh, uh, advocates. Uh, the fact is that they find common interest in being against the United States, a, a common interest in that they sell them a lot of goods, a lot of material, a lot of war stuff, that a common interest in maintaining Assad in, in Syria. So... There's a, an emergence of, a, of an agenda, a common agenda there that uh, would have been hard to predict uh, even a short while ago. Unbelievable. Finally, um, what do you say to those who are analyzing the news and looking back at this summer and saying that APAC's influence in Washington is now very much diminished? No, I don't believe it's true. I don't believe that uh, this is a huge defeat. Could there things have been done differently? Everybody will, will examine it, will look at it. Um, but as I said, look at the numbers of the American, the polls of the American people. The, the, the this was not uh, APAC's uh, battle alone. And again, as I said, I don't think it's a Jewish battle or an Israel battle. This is a battle for American people. This is a battle for the future of the world. The, the, the balances of power. The um, uh, certainly in, in the region, in the Middle East, but way beyond that. Uh, and I think one of the outgrowths, the positive things you saw was the opening of the Egyptian, uh, the Israeli embassy in Egypt this week. Right. Not predictable very long ago. And the, um, uh, and, and there are, uh, other things. There are new alliances. You see the, the, uh, Arab, some of the Arab countries, uh, having clandestine or, uh, even more visible contacts with Israelis. Uh, and with Israel and seeing it in a, in a different light, something no one can guarantee that will continue long term. So I do not think that the Jewish community, I think by conducting a campaign with dignity and in appropriate ways, I think sometimes the excesses uh, were, were counterproductive in some of the, of the language, but the, the message that this is a vital issue for us for future generations obligates us. I think the Prime Minister had, had a responsibility. You can there are people who are now arguing whether his speech to Congress or whatever, but nobody can deny that his speech to Congress elevated the issue, brought the focus of attention uh, to the issue, his speech at the United Nations. W- what would have been, where would these in the international community have been? Where, what, what standards would they have set had Israel not engaged in this, if he had not been 
at the forefront. No one else was doing it. So uh, I think that the, 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 the worst conclusion, the wrong conclusion, is that uh, we were not efficacious, that, the, that we were defeated in some way. It was not so. It is not so, yeah. and it won't be so. And we have many battles to come in the future. APAC will be involved. Everybody else will be involved. I think people had a great learning experience, hopefully. Uh, there's still a lot of questions that will be answered and, and uh, challenges that will be uh, posited. But the, the worst thing is that we come out of this divided or, or depressed rather than uh, recharge. And as we go into the new year, especially understanding that we have a, a responsibility looking at the issues. These are responsibilities for future generations. It's not, it's not just for us. It's, it's for a very long term. And the, you know, there are developments in the past year, things that have changed, you see, uh, and, and some of these for the, for the better. Uh, the New Year's message is simple this year. We've learned, uh, based on the reports, that now the Jewish population of Israel is 6.3 million. And Malcolm, when you hear the number 6 million affiliated with Jews, you don't normally think of good things. This is an unbelievable piece of news, and we continue to see the state of Israel thrive, and the Jewish people, thank God, enjoying what we have the schus, the privilege of enjoying during this era of history, and why we were chosen to enjoy it, I don't know, but thank remember God. Remember in 1948, 600,000. So when you look at that and where Israel started, and you know how many people emphasize that uh, you know Israelis leave, the fact is that all the studies that have come out show Israel amongst the five Israelis amongst the four or five most satisfied people, the most happy people, the most the best quality of life in, in many respects. There are problems. Israel needs to focus on the domestic agenda as well, but its first and foremost responsibility, unfortunately, is that they have to invest so heavily. But despite that, you have all of these positives that emerge about the quality of life and about the the way Israelis feel towards Israel and and the rallying behind the prime minister across the board on this issue of Iran shows that ultimately we can be unified, mm. even with all of the differences and with disagreements, and they can criticize one another. Bottom line, they understand what's really important, mm. what, what the, where the future lies. I take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. And I, you know, the, the, it's it, this was quite a year and. Um, and yeah, I said it uh, at my mother's shloshim this week, uh, uh, util- utilizing this week's parsha uh, and its sukkim in a very liberal way. And you'll see what I mean in a moment. That those who are not with us today are with us today. And who better than you have always given us that message? That as we go through life, make sure to remember that those who preceded us are with us today, with us to support us, and with us to continue filter their advice and their direction so that we, Bezrat Hashem, could do the right thing in the coming year. Absolutely. Thank you so much. A happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to you. Uh, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, candlelighting 652 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim. Our first weekly update of 5776 will be one week from today on Erev Shabbos Shuva. Uh, You can access uh, this conversation uh probably in 20 minutes or so you could access the entire conversation by going to the weekly update section in the archive section of the nsn app the weekly update section of the archive section of the nsn app and you can uh access this conversation in its entirety if you missed any of our uh of our conversation this morning 
want to thank those who've been commenting on the NSN app. Thank you for the anniversary wishes. Yes, Erev Rosh Hashanah is my 32nd anniversary here at JM in the AM, and I thank those who've pointed that out. Uh, we said earlier that Jerusalem's having wonderful weather. He, this listener writes, we should correct ourselves. It's an oven outside. <laughs> the air is barely moving. The sun is trying to come out through the dust cloud that they've been having in uh, Jerusalem for the last few days. So I apologize for that, but when I see 100-degree weather, I always think that's good news. And the trucker Yitz, which is happy birthday to his father, uh, who's 76, is coming Sunday night. And he says he's listening on the app, driving to Boston, Massachusetts, and up to New Hampshire. And we say welcome, and I thank him and everybody who's commenting from around the world. It is much appreciated. A reminder, Naomi Nachman is coming up with a brand-new edition of uh, Table for Two, both on video at NahumSiegel.com and, of course, on audio through all of our platforms. Alexander Rappaport from Masbia will share with Naomi all the programs and fundraising that he's doing for the soup kitchen of Maspia and how we can get involved. Jay Booksbaum will pour some new wines for the new year, and Schiffer Klein will talk about Joy of Kosher and making grilled cheese simonim sandwich. How do you like that? A delicious new show for Season 4 of our Nahum Siegel Network that comes up at 9 o'clock this morning right after JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. And a very happy... Um, uh, a had very happy fourth birthday to Zakai Abraham in kindergarten at JEC. Zakai Abraham, happy birthday to you from all of us here at JM and the AM. As we introduce Rabbi Yudin, I want to remind everybody that Rabbi Yudin is author of the book on the uh, Parsha, Rabbi Yudin on the Parsha, uh, that comes from Mosaic Press. And um, it, as we get closer and closer to the beginning of the brand new Parsha cycle, you're going to want to check it out and make sure you have that book in your home. Rabbi Yudin is author of, of Rabbi Yudin on the Parsha. Again, it's Mosaic Press. Check it out. Make sure you have it in the home as the brand new year begins and as the brand new cycle very soon of our Torah reading begins as well. Candle lighting at 6.52. Erev Shabbos Parsha's Nitzavim. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. And in reality, it's Good Erev Yom Tov, given that there is no other program between now and the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah. A lot to talk about. Let's start and try to go in order. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas Nitzavim. Interestingly, Pashas Nitzavim, according to the Chinuch, does not contain any of the 613 mitzvos of the Torah. However, these 40 psukim contained in Pashas Nitzavim are so incredibly, not just important, but it's so appropriate that the, quote, accident of the calendar, which you know what I mean, that it's not by accident, that every single year we read Nitzavim prior to Rosh Hashanah. How so? Listen to the words, Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem, giving us, and according to the Zohar, Hayom, you're standing today, all of you. Which day is it? Says the Zohar, it refers to Rosh Hashanah. Annually, we are challenged by all kinds of challenges from within and from without. And we say to ourselves, my goodness, what's going to be with this Jewish nation 
And the answer is, as we stand before Rosh Hashanah again, we stand strong. We stand with Parshas Nitzavim, which is a guarantee. There is a covenant between God and the Jewish people. And God is saying in this covenant, I will never, strong word, never, ever forsake the Jewish people. Lahavdol Elif Havdolos, Google, Mark Twain and the Jews. And it's so important to see how this is recognized by non-Jews who didn't like us as well. And they recognize that there's something that they cannot explain. It is Lamala Minateva. It is beyond the natural. So God has obligated Himself. Hashem has committed Himself to a binding relationship with the Jewish people and we in turn have bound ourselves to him in the covenant in the bris which is highlighted at the beginning of Pashas Nitzavim what a powerful way to go into the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah and let's just go one more word Kulchem all of you and the idea is, and we'll try to forge the two together, the parsha and the forthcoming Yom Tov. Rosh Hashanah, as we all know, is a Yom Hadin. It's a day of judgment. How many Torah do we have? The answer is definitively two. Because whereas the Torah says explicitly, eat matzah on Pesach, and the Torah tells us why. The Torah tells us sit in a sukkah on sukkos, and the Torah tells us why. The name of Rosh Hashanah is not found in the Torah. That Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, is not found in the Torah. Our rabbis tell us that Rosh Hashanah, as we're going to say, after the blowing of the shofar, please God, this coming Monday and Tuesday, Hayom Haras Olam, today is the anniversary of the creation of the world. It doesn't mean the world. The world was created on Chav Hey Elul, this past Wednesday, the 20th, 25th day of Elul, on Rosh Hashanah, man was created. Our rabbis tell us that on the same day that man was created, unfortunately he sinned, and he was judged, and he was judged in a way, as we know, that God spared him and did not literally kill him. He became mortal. But he lived for 930 years. This day became a day of judgment. And so we go into the day of judgment. And as the tour brings the Medrash, one would imagine that anybody who was on trial for their life would not be concerned, forgive me, how do I look? And yet the Shulchan Aruch in Simon, Tov Kuf Pei Aleph, tells us that Mechabsin Umistaprin Be'erev Rosh Hashanah. Today, 
this Friday. Take a haircut, unless you can get a haircut on Sunday as well. The idea is that we go into the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah with a sense of optimism. We bathe and we wear Yom Tov clothing, not as special as the other Chagim of Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos, but we certainly wear appropriate clothes, a little bit less subdued uh, on, or more subdued rather, on uh, Rosh Hashanah. But the idea very clearly is we go with an optimism. And what is the optimism? That the Jewish people as a people will always survive. And therefore, each individual who's on trial, who has every natural reason to be concerned, as we say in the Nisana talk of prayer, literally the fate of individuals, every single person is being decided on Rosh Hashanah. So says the altar of Kelm, the best way for a person to ensure him and her survival for the forthcoming year is by becoming a part of the Kulchem, by becoming part of the Jewish people. And the more you become a, quote, klal mensch, the more you become a person that the community, that your synagogue, that your local yeshiva, that your local mikvah needs you, the more protection that you have. And so, I just want to say that the bris, the covenant that we entered into at the beginning of this week's parsha is one of arvus, is one of mutual responsibility one for another. And rather than the attitude of MYOB, one quote minds their own business, just the opposite, we are being literally um, designated as each and every one of us ambassadors of Hashem. We do so within our community. We do so within our the workplace, the way you conduct yourself. And please God, this is inspiring to others. Let's try to focus a little bit on and review some of the basic laws regarding Rosh Hashanah. There is the minhag of Hatoras Nadorim this coming Sunday, whereby we try to go into the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah as free of sins as possible. Rosh Hashanah begins the ten days of Aseris Yimei Tshuva, and according to the uh, Ramban, Ki mitzvah hazos, in this week's parsha, not by chance, the Torah singles out the mitzvah of tshuva and says to each and every one of us, it's within our reach, it's within our grasp. And so each and every one of us who might have obligated themselves and they didn't say Belin Eder. They didn't say that they would do something without taking a vow. And unfortunately did not fulfill their commitment. So we undergo this coming Sunday morning tribunals of three individuals after the davening sit. We say the, and try to understand that which is found in many of the Sidurim, the specific plea that 
the uh, vows that we have taken should be absolved and so this procedure is done um, some have the custom of fasting Erev Yom uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah and um, depending upon one's ability until perhaps after Chatzos until Plag HaMincha each person in accordance with their ability it's not law it's just to help us try to focus on the seriousness of that which is coming beginning with this Sunday evening Rosh Hashanah and before we get there just one point Rav Elio Lapian says note in the Mincha that you're going to say this coming Sunday afternoon in the Shemona Esrei you're going to be saying Hashem is Hashem Hazos God please bless this year you'll be davening Mincha very many individuals within the last 15, 20 minutes of the year. And yet, what are we saying? God bless this year. Meaning that we recognize that every moment we need His blessing. Please God, starting this coming Sunday evening, namely with Rosh Hashanah, there are additions to the Shmona Esrei. I urge that you daven slowly and from the machzor. I don't want to say that if you forget Zohreinu, you don't have to repeat. Don't forget Zohreinu. However, just be aware that when it comes to the change from Hokel HaKadosh to HaMelech HaKadosh, that is absolute. And if a person did not um, end the third blessing with acknowledging God's kingship and therefore HaMelech HaKadosh the Holy King he has to go back and repeat the entire Shemona Esrei Rosh Hashanah is and contains one unique biblical mitzvah the biblical mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is that of the shofar now interestingly the Torah doesn't tell us why the Torah, however, does in Parshas Pinchas call the day of Rosh Hashanah Yom Teruah, a day of sounding, and a Teruah we know is a sad note. How do we know that? From the Chatzotzros, from the silver horns found in chapter 10 in the book of Bamidbar. And there the Torah says that, God forbid, when a war takes place, and you will blow a trua. The next verse says that on your happy days, you blow a tekiah, thus showing us what the character of the notes are. Now, clearly, the character of the day is a yom trua. We blow cries. 
However, from once again, chapter 10 in Bamidbar, we learn that each and every trua is preceded and followed by a tekiah. It's preceded by a long straight note, a happy note, and it's followed by a long straight note, that happy note again. Interestingly, the philosophy that emerges from the blowing of the shofar is so powerful. It says as follows, that God created man like a tekiah. What does that mean? He created him straight. Unfortunately, each and every one of us has their issues, and we have our own personal trua, our own messing up, our own imperfections, our own sins, which we address. And as the Rambam says, the blow of the shofar is a wake-up call, reminding us of our responsibilities to God and a call to tshuva. And therefore, the sound that comes after the trua is a sound of tekiah, basically saying, man, you can do it. There's a sense of optimism. You can rise up from your trua and go back to your being, that state of tekiah, that state of yashras, that state of simcha, that state of perfection. The Torah mentions the term trua in conjunction with the seventh month three times in which the rabbis tell us in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah that what are we to blow on Rosh Hashanah? Three Teruah. In order to blow three Teruah, I have to have nine sounds. Because as we mentioned, each Teruah is preceded and followed by a Tekiah. So really on Rosh Hashanah, all we have to blow is nine sounds. However, the Talmud tells us that we are not sure what is the Teruah. It's a cry. Is it a cry, what we call the Shivarim, which is a sigh. Ay, ay, ay. Is it the sound, what we call a Teruah, which is the wail. Ay, 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 ay. Or might it be the combination of Shivarim and Teruah, the sob or the sigh, followed by the wail. What do we do? We blow all three combinations. So the first thing we're going to blow this coming Monday morning, after the Baal Tokea recites the two blessings of the Shmoa Kol Shofar. The mitzvah is not simply the blowing, but to hear it and to take the message to heart. And Shechianu, the first thing he's going to blow is Tekiah Shvarim. Teruah, Tekiah. That's four sounds. Three of them because we're supposed to blow three Teruah. That's twelve. But maybe the Teruah is the Shvarim. So we're going to blow three Shvarims, which will give us nine sounds. Maybe it's just the Teruah, just the whale. And therefore we're going to blow nine sounds. Twelve, nine, and nine will give us thirty. We blow thirty sounds before the Musaf Shmona Esrei. Then, the Sephardim blow 30 sounds within the Musaf, the private, personal, quiet Shmona Esrei. And Ashkenazim 
below the 30 in the repetition of the Shemona Esrei, which clearly shows us in a very clear way that the shofar is a prayer. It's a prayer without words. We don't eat the matzah in the Shemona Esrei. We don't take the lulav in the Shemona Esrei. But we do blow the shofar as part of the Shemona Esrei. And I believe it's such a powerful idea. Shofar is a prayer without words. There are times that you just cannot express certain feelings with words. Feelings of happiness, lowelenu feelings of grief. It just can't be put into words. We say on Rosh Hashanah, God, I can't put it into words how sorry I am, how grateful I am for your sticking with me, how grateful I am to be part of this great and wonderful nation, the Jewish people. I just can't put it into words. And therefore the chauffeur is expressing this for us. And a beautiful idea from the Sfas Emes. Remember, take out the Humashim and look in chapter 2. And what do you find in the beginning of chapter 2, verse 7? That God forms man and Vayipach Apov Nishmas Chayim in order for man to become animated, alive. God blows into his nose a living soul. A man becomes a... Nefesh Chayot becomes a living being, a Ruach Mamalolo, a speaking being, but God blows into man, says the Sfas Emes. When was that? Historically. It happened on Rosh Hashanah, the day that man was created. As God blew into the first man on this day, what do we do? We reciprocate in kind and we blow to Him. So therefore, we blow 30 times before, 30 times in conjunction with Svardim during, Ashkenazim after in the repetition. That brings us to 60 sounds, and the rabbis say, interestingly, go for it. 40 more sounds to make it 100. To remember the cries of Sisra's mother, namely the general who his mother was waiting for him in battle. He doesn't come back. Her cries. So basically there is that universal aspect to Rosh Hashanah as we say in our prayers regarding the other and all nations of the world everyone is being judged on Rosh Hashanah we should be remembering what is the Kriya Satora of Rosh Hashanah the first day of Rosh Hashanah we read the birth of of Yitzchak. My goodness, why? Mazel tov. Why are we reading about the birth of Yitzchak on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? And because what would have been so bad if Avram, who was 10 years older than Sarah, he was 35 and Sarah was 25. And Mazel tov, they have a baby. Why couldn't Jewish history start like that? But the answer is no. Avram is 100 and Sarah is 90. To tell us that from the get-go, from the very beginning of 
our peoplehood. It was all lemalo minateva. It's all supernatural. There's no way to explain it. There's no way to explain our position, as we say on the Pesach Seder, and with the deal with Iran. Bechol dor vador omdim oleinu lechalosenu. We see it in our eyes. They say it. They say it that they want to destroy Israel. And vakarish baruchu matzileinu miyadam. That's what you have to keep in mind as you go into Rosh Hashanah. He blew into the nostrils of the first man. He blows into us and we reciprocate in kind. On the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we have the Akedah, which is basically saying to Hashem Yisbarach, we learn from Avram, Avram who had such devotion to you. Thank God this is part of our DNA. And we are prepared to give you in this forthcoming year this devotion. The custom is, if those I can, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, weather permitting, we go to a flowing body of water and we recite Tashlich. Um, again, I didn't mention, but there is the custom on the first night. After you've washed and you have had your challah, which some dip in the honey, even though you've washed and you made hamotzi, and usually you don't have to make any more brachos until dessert, now you're going to have an apple. And because you're eating this apple for ceremonial purposes, because it reminds us of Gan Eden, teaching us that not just the living, but the dead are also judged on Rosh Hashanah, you're going to make a bore prayer eights on the apple. Take a bite. Then dip the apple in the honey, and with the apple in your hand, with honey on it, you say, Yehiratzon, we pray that God should and we're saying that means that what? If each and every one of us have to have some kind of a, I don't want to use the word, but let it be a punishment, kapora, God, please do it in a way, soften it, make it sweeter. And Finally, you'll find the long list of beautiful simonim that you don't need only a machzor to pray. We can pray by looking at a carrot and we can say, wow, the carrot is known as merin, which means increase and a great deal. May our zuchusim, may our merits increase. The ability of the Jew to find in any and everything about him some way of connecting with Hashem and some way with connecting with his people. I take this opportunity of wishing everyone a meaningful Rosh Hashanah. It's a year that we should look with optimism for what we can grow personally, for that which we can contribute to our communities, to our peoples. And I take this opportunity of wishing Nachum and his family Simcha and continue the wonderful work of inspiring Klal Yisrael literally all around the world for many years to come. A Shabbat Shalom and a Shana Tova to all.
take this opportunity to wish all of our amazing listeners and supporters of this great radio effort a happy, healthy, and sweet new year, a great 5776 mm-hmm. ahead. We will speak on Wednesday, please God, starting at 6 a.m. And Matis, of course, on Sunday, 
between 7 and 9 a.m. on our stream and on the NSN app. And I take this opportunity to wish a very, very happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to the people that keep JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network going all through the year. It is a staff that is not just a staff. It is a staff that over the last 32 years has become an amazing family and some of the best friends you could ever imagine having. Time to say good Shabbos and wish everyone a happy 5776. This is Journeys at JM and the AM. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Go on home and find a gift that's waiting there for you. Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos. Cause all your work is done. I'm gonna spend the day together with the Holy One. Say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well in. To throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy Special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator is a very special sign. Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope.
Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up an amazing week here at JMM. Final week of 5775. A happy, healthy, sweet new year to everybody. Make sure you're tuned in now to Naomi Nachman, both video on NachumSiegel.com and audio through all of our other platforms. The brand new edition of, of, um, Table for Two coming up, uh, uh, next. Make sure to stay with our Kedem live stream all day long for an era of Shabbos all the way until candle lighting time. Make sure to tune in all through our weekend, including Saturday Night Siegel and our amazing Saturday Night Programming, plus, of course, Matis on JM Sunday on Erev Rosh Hashanah. And I will speak to you, please God, on Wednesday on Som Gedalia. Have a wonderful Yontav. Happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to everybody. Shana Tova. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.